So my microphone just curled up in a little ball and rolled off the table and crashed on the floor and rolled under the couch. So uh, this is essentially just a test to see if it even works anymore. Ah, it seems to be working. It's a little loud, but it's working. So let's just keep going. Um, okay, hello. My name's Caroline Dooner. And you're listening to the Fuck a Diet podcast. And today's episode, I am chatting with dietitian Anna, Anna Sweeney. Um, she's dietitian Anna on Instagram and Twitter. And we chat about her experience with chronic illness and living in a wellness diet obsessed culture that tells you you can heal anything if you just eat a certain way. And we also talk, and I think that people will find this really fascinating, near the end of our talk, we talk about physical symptoms of refeeding. She works with a lot of patients with eating disorders, but the phenomenon of physical symptoms like gut symptoms and skin symptoms when you begin refeeding, even if you've just been yo-yo dieting or chronically trying to eat less and you finally allow yourself to eat more you can still experience those symptoms and understanding that it's normal is I think a really helpful part of the process because it makes sense that a lot of people will experience like gastro symptoms when they try to start eating more or eating normally or you know giving into their cravings and a lot of people think oh my god oh my god this is just proof that i shouldn't be that i that i'm allergic to everything that i'm sensitive to everything that this is bad for me and it's actually not it's just the body adjusting to not restricting food so um please enjoy my conversation with dietitian anna Anna Sweeney. It's also my grandmother's name. Um, And after the conversation, I will come back and I'll ramble a little bit more and maybe share a listener story. Enjoy. My name's Anna Sweeney. I'm um, actually going to refer to myself as a dietitian Anna um, because that is actually how we know each other. Yes. And that's how I think of you. I'm like, yay, I'm doing an interview with dietitian Anna. Like that's literally... Good diet, so I'm super happy. <laughs> so exciting. Um, and I am sick right now, so I have this extra throaty voice. I'm really excited. Um, I am a certified eating disorder registered dietitian, and I specialize in um, intuitive eating and, you know, body healing, recovery. And I am also a human who lives with chronic illness and disability. And so I'm really excited to kind of unpack some of the things that I think we'll, we'll get into today. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about wellness culture, specifically from that perspective, from the perspective of chronic illness and how exploited it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I have my own experience with that too. I was diagnosed with PCOS. Um, so that was like a big piece of my own dieting was like, I can heal myself if I can just like find well, the perfect diet. Yeah figure it out. Right. Um, so let's, let's dive into that. I want to hear about your experience with your diagnosis and, and how wellness culture affects that. So I was diagnosed so long. I was 15 years old when I was diagnosed. So we're coming up on almost 20 years ago, but in retrospect, I've had MS for more than 20 years. Um, and so I actually was thinking about this the other day when I was writing a post, I think, 
actually the post there I wrote today was about wellness culture. Um, but in the context of chronic illness, but I actually feel really grateful because I was diagnosed at a time, like I didn't have a cell phone when I was diagnosed and I certainly didn't have a cell phone like with all of the like answers to everything on it. Um, and I think that social media has really changed and, and just like accessibility because of handheld computers, it's really changed the way that wellness culture is pushed into all of our day-to-day experiences. Mm. Um, and so I have a lot of compassion for folks who are experiencing, I mean, I'm, I can speak to MS specifically, but people who are experiencing diagnoses with really anything, and it's, it's like I have a lot of compassion for folks who are looking to Dr. Google for answers. And we all, you know, we want answers. We want to feel good. And I actually think about um, dieting and specifically like chronic illness dieting, whatever that looks like, like initially practicing some sort of dietary intervention, it's really common for those to feel good because it's actually someone engaging in an act of self-care. Yeah. And so because when we are taking extra good care of ourselves, um, we, we feel really good. And then what ends up happening, or at least what I have seen in my, in my clinical experience um, is that it starts with one thing and then there's an, and then it's like, Oh, I feel like shit again. I hope I can swear on this podcast. Oh, um, your name, your book is the fuck it. Yes, you absolutely can safe. Um, start with one food and then you're like, I feel so good. And then they eliminate something else and I feel better. Mm. And then at the end of the day, you're whittled down to like four foods or one very specific diet that in fact, like felt like it was, quote unquote, the answer. Um, and we're just disconnected from our bodies, but mm. it's really interesting because if we're not practicing like thoughtful self-care outside of practicing something that diet culture is encouraging, gosh, like, of course that feels good. Right. Of course it does. Right. And so it gets misplaced. Like we think that we feel better because we are eating X, Y, Z and not eating X, Y, Z and not realizing that in the beginning, it's like this honeymoon of I'm finally like have the intention of taking care of myself. And that goes a long way. It's like the placebo effect thing where it's like, wow, this works because my whole being for this temporary, you know, time period feels very taken care of. And yeah, it's 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 really hard to figure out when you're in the thick of it, and it also is really hard to pull yourself out of that kind of state. So I'm I'm super curious. Have you like with your diagnosis? Was there a time when you were sort of sucked into the miracle cure? Um, absolutely. So I I can certainly speak, and I want to say something really quick, Lee. Um in reference to the placebo effect. So my neurologist is, is a researcher in New York city. He's amazing. Um, and he actually mentioned something about the placebo effect accounting for 30% of efficacy. And when you really think about that, like that's a lot, that's a a lot. lot. So if you think something's going to help in my book, those are way better odds than the outcome of what most like, of like diet culture outcomes. That's like 95% unsuccess. Placebo effect is 30% success. 
that's like really, really high. Yeah. And I think it, it can account for a lot of the perceived or even real experiences. Right? Of- and it's both, right? Yeah. And I think it can be really like a somatic experience that is very real until it's not. Right. But, okay. But back to your question. Um, so I... When I was really young, um, when I first got my my diagnosis, my first neurologist mentioned something about eliminating a certain um, kind of food group, and I I mean I was I was such a baby and I had relapsing remitting MS at that time, and so I, like after I had steroids for five days, like I felt like myself again. I was good. I tried very, very, very transiently to follow through with whatever he was recommending. And then I'm like, fuck this. I'm going to be a kid. Uh, yeah. And I, I, and I really maintained that practice and those beliefs. I'm fortunate in that I have had a really peaceful relationship with food for my entire life. That's um, and, and, and then like, I'm so, I'm really fortunate to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, And so fast forward, and I'm trying to have context for this, maybe three years ago, three or four years ago, um, I was feeling myself now what I'm recognizing is I was transitioning really hard out of relapsing, remitting MS into secondary progressive multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as that change was happening, I was voraciously looking to do you know, something, anything. Right. And there was a book published by a, a medical doctor who had progressive MS and she wrote a book and on the cover it says how I healed myself of multiple sclerosis. Hmm. And I have to say one thing, like MS is not a disease that has a cure. Right. So for this woman to say that she healed herself of MS, like fuck all the way off. Mm-hmm. And I was vulnerable and I was scared and I didn't want my body to change and I didn't want my disease to progress in the way that it was. So I, you know, I actually, I will tell you, I took this to my clinical supervision group because eating is such an important part of my job because being really, really, really fucking normal with food in front of my clients and like actually doing all of the things that I'm asking the people in front of me to do mm-hmm. and doing it with, with ease, it, it like, it really actually matters to me as a practitioner. Mm-hmm. And so I went to my supervision group and these are really well-known and lovely respected women in the Boston area. Um, and said, you know, guys, I'm really thinking about embarking on this crazy protocol. Um, I, like give me some feedback and, mm-hmm. Of course, they all said, Anna, like, take care of yourself. This is what, you know, this is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I did, and I stopped being able to eat with my clients, right. and I stopped being able to enjoy what I was eating, and I started eating in a way that was really, really um, manualized. I, like, I had certain things that I had to eat, There were very specific parameters around the kind of foods that I was eating, some of which was just vile, disgusting stuff. Um, And it felt as though like there was some kind of necessary suffering 
to kind of earn the right. privilege of being well. Right. Um, and yes. so I, I did this, I did this, I did this for probably eight or nine months. Mm-hmm. And would you fucking guess? Like, I still had MS. Right. And I was just miserable. Like, for yeah. the first time in my life, I wasn't able to eat with my friends. I wasn't able to go to restaurants and have whatever I wanted. I wasn't able to feel normal with food. I was making these crazy-ass concoctions. And I wasn't living in a way that was, like, in line with my values at all. Right. And so... I stopped. Right. And it's funny, like my disease is moving quickly right now. And I won't tell you that there haven't been those flittering thoughts of like, oh, maybe that's really what I should do. Right. Like maybe I should. Right. I'm not, but it's, it's such a, it's such a strong pull. Um, that you just didn't do it long enough or right. well enough. or Right. 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 And if I would have done it the right way or like the hardest way, or if I would have stood on my head when I was eating, it would have been like, it's all bullshit. And I know right. that. Right. And it's, it's so hard. And I think, and this is such an interesting thing because, you know, in a weird way, it's kind of good. Or this is what I think for when I look back on myself and all of the many, many very dramatic diets that I tried and very, very restrictive diets that I tried all for the purpose. You know, I really believed that, you know, of course there was weight, you know, weight stigma was totally a part of it, especially with PCOS, but I really believed that I was doing this to try and heal. And I was promised that I could heal with this. Don't you bark, Molly. No, don't you bark. Oh my God, she better not. Uh, it's just the, it's just the mailman. Everything's fine. Okay. Um, I was really promised, you know, the diets really pro and they're such different diets, but they promise that they can heal you from the inside out. So I feel thankful that I really genuinely tried yeah. and was able to see, first of all, yes, I do actually care about myself. Yes. I really would do anything uh, to heal if it, if it actually worked, right? <laughs> but it doesn't. And so I feel like it's almost a good thing that you were like, you know what, I'm going to try this because I don't want to be so, I would say like, I don't want to be so blinded by my own like worldview that we should all be able to like relax and eat if this could potentially heal me. So you tried and you saw firsthand, A, it didn't heal me and B, I'm more miserable than ever. Yep you know, when you're pulled, like it, it's helpful when you are pulled back into it to be like, but I, I tr- like, I really did try. I, I went, I was like willing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's really important. And it's been really important for me in, in this journey to have like a lot of self-compassion. And it's one of the reasons I think a lot about like the way that I show up on Instagram or in social media. Like I'm, I, I, I'm not, it's not that I'm not a compassionate person because I totally am, but I'm a very assertive person Mm -hmm. um, because I think that eating disorders are also really fucking assertive and diet culture is really assertive Mm -hmm. and I don't have the budget behind me to be as assertive as diet culture, Right. but it really matters that like when I'm saying what I'm saying, I can be really clear 
you know, about, about my message. And I, I really feel for people who are in, and actually it's even funny thinking about like the, the number of comments that are, that are streaming in today based on the post that I wrote about chronic illness. Right. Um, so many of us have this message from doctors, from friends, from family, that there are these magical powers that we have. Right. And they mostly are, they're related to like how we eat. And it's just like bullshit. It's just yeah. bullshit. Yeah. If you're allergic to a thing, don't eat it. Yeah. But outside of that, like everything is, is pretty much diet culture wrapped up in a pretty bow and it's just being like attached to vulnerable people. Yeah. It really, really, really pisses me off that we live in this culture in which disempowering like personal lived experience and personal belief um, is trumped by this overarching message of like, if you change what you put in your mouth, if you change the way your body looks, you'll have this dramatically different experience where I think we're just setting ourselves up to be running from one thing to another, to another forever. And it's also just blaming the individual for their own health stuff, which is just the most exhausting and like emotionally debilitating thing to, to experience if you're, especially if you're experiencing any sort of health issue. Not to mention like privileged as fuck, Mm -hmm. right? Like to be able to accommodate specific dietary interventions, we are talking about adding hundreds of dollars to grocery store like trips every month. Right. And I'm not, I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that. I think like what I generally see with regard to quote, like elimination diets, we're not talking about adding in inexpensive foods in, in place of, something else right expensive stuff right no i know <laughs> and i was this and it reminds me of all the stuff that i'm reading i mean i people are writing about it all the time but um all of the gwyneth paltrow goop stuff uh i, I really liked her as an actress i, actually, I know i know <laughs> she's a good actress <laughs> I know. And I, I saw a tweet, I think by, um, I don't want to get his name wrong, but uh, Alan, I'm sure, Alan Levinovitz. Yeah, he's brilliant. Uh, he's so brilliant. I I love following him and he has a book coming up also that I'm really, it's called That's Natural, exciting. I think, that I'm so excited to read. Um, but he said something, I wish I had it in front of me, but he said something about Gwyneth Paltrow and about Goop that was, he was saying, you know, it's like this weird, extremely elitist, like religion Uh that like, if you can afford to pay for these like out there remedies that you can purify yourself and you can be like healed mind, body, spirit. So gross. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's so toxic, but it's not isolated. Like that is what our wellness culture is. Yep. Yep. And you can kind of picture like people going to like goop meetups and like selling this stupid shit back and forth. It's just so ridiculous. It's so, it's so ridiculous. But I get like, I get how alluring it is. Like I, I have been there firsthand in 
was with so many different things that I've tried being like, I just, I need to see mm -hmm. if, if the next thing could be the thing that could heal me. Right. And it's like putting all this personal responsibility on you and you feel like, you know, if I don't try, then I don't truly care about myself and you could keep doing that forever. Right. And I think in some ways I actually feel fortunate because of my education mm -hmm. and because of my background. Right. So I was a like a certified intuitive eating counselor before I started this extraordinary dietary intervention mm -hmm. and I had this beautiful, like easy relationship with food as a backdrop. So I think about just the good fortune that I went into this dietary intervention with and were I more vulnerable in one way or another, I can see how these sorts of dietary protocols extend an illness like say MS or lupus or PCOS way beyond PCOS or MS or lupus, right? right. We become super obsessed with food and then we have a totally different sort of pathology going on that wasn't initially signed up for. Right. Right. And yeah. And, and then you have those symptoms and you can't even pick apart what's actually your diagnosis and what's, right. and that's the scariest part. And that was my experience for at least a decade where I was having all of these symptoms that I was blaming on PCOS and not eating well enough, but it was actually because I was chronically restricting and dieting. So like, it was just such a mind fuck, you know? Yep. Um, did you, when you actually decided to stop that dietary intervention, was it seamless and easy to just go back to the way you ate before or was it? One, I mean, again, because of the fact that I had a very mm -hmm. easy relationship with food, I happily jumped right back into being a normal eater. Like great. it was, it was not hard at all, at all. It was, it was kind of glorious. And in fact, yeah. I imagine that I, um, I, I know I don't really remember this, but I'm sure that I went into a little bit of like overdrive mo mode mm -hmm. with regard to like reincorporation of all of these foods that I had been avoiding for such a time and, and like ate them in a volume that wasn't necessarily normal for me or reflective of what I wanted in the moment just because my body was like one looking for looking forward to this new and or this not new old classic OG good food mm -hmm. um and and my I was just excited yeah psychologically I was stoked it, it's I think that's so interesting because I'm always wanting to be able to explain how we would happily refeed ourselves after any sort of semi-starvation. I always want people to be able to imagine how they would refeed themselves if they didn't have the mental piece going on, if they didn't have the diet culture, the judgment that I shouldn't be eating this way, this shouldn't be happening, this is too much food, this means, you know, all of those things. And so I feel like, your experience was probably what that would be, you know, like I, I trust my body. I'm going to happily refeed myself. I'm not afraid to eat a lot of food and just sort of letting it happen. Right. Right. And, and I, I as I said, like, I think 
part of the letting it happen was being okay with the fact that I was, and don't get me wrong, I'm excited about food. I love food and I love eating, but I was more excited about food and I probably ate more food than I would normally because of the fact that I had come out of this period of not being able to eat a food. Right. I think about so many people that feel so abnormal when they come off of a diet and then they're like fiending for something else. And it's just like, this is biology in your body trying to kind of correct, correct a deficit and make right. up for what naturally was missing. And when we don't jump to a place of like, oh shit, oh dear, and judgment all the time, naturally it just kind of calms down. Right. Right. And to be able to like see that firsthand. And that's the thing that I, I feel like I spend a lot of time, time trying to explain that that is the natural state and to like get people to imagine, to imagine what it could be like if they didn't have the judgment of it to sort of like, yeah, act as if and, and feel the freedom there and see if they can like grab a piece of that freedom while they go through the process of recovering from restricting. Yeah. That's so and, fascinating. And, and what a big ask if you've, if you've been dieting forever or you've had a negative relationship with food forever, you're literally imagining a thing that you've never touched before. Right. That's, that's an ask. No, it is. It definitely, definitely is. Um, so I'd love to ask you a question about um, a lot of people who are recovering from dieting don't really realize that they've, because of weight stigma and our belief that we're only underfed if we look underfed, people don't realize kind of the state that their body has been in. And when they're going through the refeeding, they experience some uncomfortable physical um, side effects and they don't realize that it's very normal coming from a place of disordered eating and restrictive eating and essentially an eating disorder um, that experiencing those physical side effects is actually normal and to be expected. Um, is that something that you can speak to as an eating disorder uh, specialist sort of calming people down and letting them know that it's okay to experience a little bit of that discomfort? So what I will say, and I, I'll speak to this as a dietitian who's worked at all levels of care, but most particularly, um, and, and I mean eating disorder care. So I've been in, like, I'm an inpatient dietitian, residential, partial, and IOP, and now I'm in outpatient practice. But in my residential facility, the experience of being refed. So the reintroduction, and by refeeding, I'm not talking about refeeding syndrome, I'm not talking about anything pathological, I'm talking about the actual action of feeding one's body at regular intervals throughout the course of the day, getting adequate energy into a body, um, if that has not been happening for quite a period of time. And so what ended up happening, and it was like, like not funny haha, -ha, but funny. It actually ultimately ended up being funny haha -ha, um, because I had this house full of women and obviously the women changed, but it was always kind of a joke for the first two or three weeks of being in the house, feeling like I'm stuffed all the time. I'm gassy, I'm bloated, I'm constipated, I have diarrhea. I don't feel good. 
like I, I don't want like I don't necessarily want to be eating or I'm thinking about food all the time and like hearing people kind of talk about these experiences it's really I mean it's really really an interesting thing as your brain is getting accustomed to being refed again and as your amygdala is getting the message that, like there's going to be food there's going to be food there's going to be food that that's all awesome but physiologically your, your gut is a mess. Your body's mm-hmm. going to go through hell before it actually feels better. And then it does feel better. But what, what's, what was really funny was women being together, like talking about farting and talking about gas in, in ways that you wouldn't necessarily normally hear. Right. Um, but we don't, like, we don't talk about the nitty gritty of what it actually feels like and means to be an eater because gas and pooping and like all of that is, that's normal. Mm-hmm. We do that. Right. Right. And the fact that those, you know, those, ex- those like actual gastro symptoms are extremely heightened while your body is getting used to eating more food for a lot of people who don't, who don't necessarily identify with having any sort of disordered eating or eating disorder, even though you and I might say, mm, that sort of is what you were experiencing when they're coming from any sort of extreme dieting or orthorexia and trying to trust this process, having bad physical symptoms immediately sets off alarm bells that, Oh my God, Oh my God, I shouldn't be doing this. This is bad for me. This really does prove that I'm sensitive to these foods. And then they abandon ship. Right. And that is like, when I think about this and I've said this to a bajillion people, like your body can go through the process of refeeding once and we do it well, or it can happen a thousand times. Your body actually doesn't really, I mean, think preferentially your body would rather do it once. Mm-hmm. Um, and psychologically, you would definitely rather do it once. Yeah. But every single time you show up here, and this, I mean, this applies for that residential facility, but also anytime anybody comes off of a diet and then starts reintroducing normal food, your physiological symptoms are going to represent themselves. And it doesn't matter what diet you're coming off of. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Like your body is going to have a natural response. And that's actually a good thing. It means your body is acknowledging that you're changing things. Mm -hmm. And I assure you, barring digestive issues, like IBS or not IBS, IBD, like irritable bowel disease, most symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome, so gassiness, bloating, belching, constipation, nausea, diarrhea, like all of that stuff, most of those symptoms that are associated with refeeding will actually subside in the first, like, I would say give it a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it doesn't like go away in that time, then go see a gastroenterologist. Right, right. But, but mostly the shit goes away if you stick with it. Yeah, I know. I know. I think that's going to be so nice for people to hear from you, honestly, because that's a huge question that I get. And, you know, I can speak to some things, but I think it's really helpful for people to also hear that from you. I'm so happy to hear that. Are there any other um, specific symptoms that people in the refeeding stage experience that might be nice for people listening to hear as well? 
So I notice that when people are going through, so there are some specific things that I've noticed. Some of my clients, and this is again, independent of body size, um, going through refeeding, talk about like night sweats and actually noticing their body going through a physiological change. Mm -hmm. um, talk about change in, in mood. And I'm curious, Carolina, even about like experiences maybe that you've had or that you've heard from other people, I would certainly love to validate experiences. Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, I think there's not one normal, normal way to go about this. I think a lot of people during the refeeding process find themselves feeling like they're eating all the time right? Um, and feeling stuffed all the time and feeling like they're eating in a way that is totally counterintuitive to what their bodies are actually asking for. Yeah. Because when we start a practice of feeding ourselves on regular intervals, it does feel like, and this is what I promote, like I promote this with my clients and it does not matter what's, again, body size is independent of this recommendation um, and so is diagnoses. But I, I recommend people follow something close to the guideline of threes. So three meals, three snacks a day. Meals are three to six food groups at a time. Snacks are two to three food groups at a time. And if you're following this plan, this, this guideline, you're eating approximately every three to four hours, mm -hmm. thereby the guideline of threes. And the other thing that I ask my clients to do when they're putting together meals and snacks, especially, and this is especially pertinent for people who have been dieting and have a picture of a meal that looks like something that they got from some other prescribed diet, which means like, and I'm not even going to speak specifically to what this necessarily means, but um, instead of thinking about what a, like a diet protocol might provide or what a diet plate might look like, to really think about what someone would want to give to a friend, what you uh. would, how you would feed someone that you love. Yeah. And think about doing, like keeping that in the back of your mind when you're making meals and snacks um, because it's really easy, especially if you have a long history of trying on different diets. Um, I am fairly certain that none of your diet food would be a thing that you would give to somebody that you care for. Yeah, I know. That's, that's an amazing recommendation. That's so nice. And that you can also extend that to, and also talk to yourself the way you would talk to a friend. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much though. I will say I, I feel very badly that when I was paleo, I tried to feed my friend all my paleo foods. That sucks so much. You're such an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> but I, I will say that not long after that, I, I went on the FACA diet. So I was truly at, at the end of my rope and it was not sustainable. <laughs> it wasn't sustainable for me or for my friendships. Um, I love that recommendation. I think that'll be really helpful for people. Um, the other thing that uh, I have heard and I, I want to, um, to let people know and let you speak on too is that people in the refeeding often experience higher cholesterol levels. So we've seen that. Um, if a body is not being fed, you're going, like you're, there's endogenous cholesterol and exogenous cholesterol. Mm -hmm. And when a body is not getting enough exogenous cholesterol, 
your body's going to make more, right? right? So you start synthesizing cholesterol, which is not representative of your need to be on like a cholesterol lowering drug. You don't need a statin. Like you need to wait. Yes. Um, give it some time. You, you, right. Your body and not for everybody, of course, but your body will chill out. Um, but that, that is a really, really, really um, common secondary symptom to semi-starvation. Yeah. And again, I think all this information, I mean, people are terrified, honestly, people are so afraid that they're being irresponsible. And when any little thing or big thing happens when they're in the process of trying to surrender and trust that their body can handle food, like they have stomach problems, they go to the doctor during the period and they have higher cholesterol than they had. Um, a lot of people have skin breakouts during this time. Oh, everybody's going to have skin breakouts. I know. That's normal. I know. Like the hormones are coming back. Relax. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that this is just like so essential for people to hear, to hear from other people. I forgot that that was a normal thing. Yeah. Um, If you have been in like a hypo, um, my brain is a little fuzzy because I don't feel great. Um, But if you have had hypothalamic amenorrhea, or even if you have simply dampened your like reproductive hormones, when you are reintroducing food appropriately, your hormonal system, just like your digestive system, is going to go through a little bit of a ride similar to the way that I sound right now. Like you're going to feel like you're going through puberty again. Um, Stick with it. Adulthood is on the other side. I promise. Oh, I love this. I think people are going to be so calmed to hear all of this. Um, and this is something that I sort of, you know, I, I talk about it in certain terms of like, yeah, it's a process. Like everybody experiences it differently, you know, just, but I think hearing it in these kind of like black and white terms and also in the, like, honestly, we don't think of it this way because it's so normalized, but when we are on any sort of restrictive diet and for any length of time and we try to come off of it, I mean, it is it mimics what the body experiences after anorexia and maybe not as extreme, but so to hear like from the actual experience of someone who, who works with this on a clinical level, I think that, I think that that's just really important because it, it absolutely applies. And I think it can be really, it will be really calming for people to hear. I hope so. You're making me feel like I could write a book, Caroline. I just need you to- could. Are you kidding me? I really, it's like one of my dreams, but you're making me feel like I could. You absolutely could. You need to start. I, yeah. Start. You need to get not sick. And then yes. We'll- start next week, okay? Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. My voice is back. I'll write a book. Is there anything else um, that you want to, uh, that you think is like extremely important to share before I let, I, let you go rest. I I think the last thing that I want to say, and you mentioned something about this at the start of our conversation, and I don't know if it was the start of the middle or wherever, whatever. Um, You said something about the body not being able to differentiate like restriction from famine. Mm -hmm. And, and the fact is when a body is being underfed 
for whatever reason. It does not matter. And this can be a long-term experience. This can literally be, I missed my lunch and I missed my afternoon snack because mm-hmm. I had a really busy, busy business meeting. Like hormonal shifts occur to drive us towards food. Yes. This is the primary mechanism of making sure that our species remains on this planet. This, mm-hmm. this is not about your body being like overly eager or being too much of any one thing. This is about keeping humanity like on this planet. So yeah. when I think about like that statement, actually one of my, um, those stupid felt boards with the letters, um, I, I, I made one that says your body can't differentiate, I, I don't know, restriction or miseating from famine. I don't remember what the language was, but the fact is like your body, your body doesn't know. And so it is okay if you are on, you know, you're on this journey, you're on this healing path. Um, I, I appreciate that this is really hard stuff and your body, as you work to take care of it, very, very, very much wants to be on your team. And it's really important that as you go through processes that are going to feel like your body is not on your team and something is wrong and needs attention with, with time and persistence, there, there can be and will be unity. I, and that I am very, very, very confident about. Oh, I love it. It's beautiful. People need to hear it and people need to hear it over and over and over again too. I'm actually looking at your post. It says real talk, your body can't differentiate dieting from famine. Oh yeah, sorry. Real talk. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. There it is. Uh, Dietitian Anna, thank you so much. Where can everyone find you? Um, On Instagram at Dietitian Anna. Um, And I, I actually, I'm just, I'm so amazed. I have so many people that come hang out. I try my best to be responsive, but I, I, you know, I'm, I'm there. It is such a pleasure. I am, I feel really lucky to have a really happy corner of the internet that feels really safe and lovely. Uh, yes, please go follow her. If you don't already, all of her posts are amazing. Amazing. All of them. Every single one. No, they really are. Every single one. They really are. Also the last fun fact before I let you go is that my grandmother's name is actually Anna Sweeney. What? Long and long ago, I, I messaged you about that and you were like, you did. You did. I remember. (laughs) Yes. Okay. This was before we were actually friends. I I was like, you have my grandmother's name. So it's, it's my Mary, it's my married name. And I'm I'm glad that my married name allowed me to be kind of related to you. Yeah. It's very exciting to me. I don't know. It speaks to me. This has been one day, Caroline, that I have been called a grandmother. (laughs) I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Also, it was her uh, her maiden name, not her married name. So well, whatever, whatever, whatever. Very much place in one day. Amazing. <laughs> you should see me with my walker. You're right. You're both an adolescent boy today and yes, a grandmother. And a grandmother who uses a walker. It's perfect. All of that information, how to follow her, the link 
to follow her at Dietitian Anna on Instagram. You can find in the show notes of this episode. So please go do that. She's a great follow. So what else do I want to share? I want to share that, uh, let me look at my calendar. In 11 days, which would be, what, it's a Sunday today while I'm recording this. So well, it doesn't matter. I shouldn't be saying that because I don't know when you're listening to God, Caroline, get it together. Okay. So on January 30th, 2020, I am doing an event, a live event in Philadelphia at Headhouse Books, my local bookstore, with Christy Harrison at 7.15. Let me check. God, I should know these things. Okay, so I'm just going to go to Headhouse Books. Okay, click Headhouse Books. Stay curious. And I go to events. God, this is just how it is, guys. So, yeah, it's January 30th at 7.15. It's free. We're going to be chatting Um, It's part of her anti-diet book tour because her book just came out right at the end of December. And we're going to be chatting. We're going to be answering your questions. We're going to be signing books. You'll be able to go home and be in bed by, mm, you know, depending on how far you live, you know, like maybe even 9.30, maybe even 9.15 if you leave early. Um, Please, if you're in the area and you want to attend a free event and connect with us, please uh, show up. We would love to see you. I think that it'll be, you know, a pretty well attended event. I know Christy has a pretty big podcast following, so I'm really, really excited. I hope to see you there if you live in Philadelphia or the Philadelphia area. And yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I'm really excited for it. I love doing events that are literally a couple blocks from my house. I'm going to wear flat shoes and walk there probably. What am I going to wear? Probably just a sweater. That's okay. I'll figure it out. Don't worry about me. Um, what else? To, okay. So I'm really excited because I've been getting stories from people in the past couple episodes. I've been asking for listeners to send me your story, your experience on the fuck a diet, because I think it really helps other people who are just starting out and who are really, really anxious that it's not going to work for them or that it's only going to, you know, that it's irresponsible or that what they're experiencing uh, is is wrong or bad or a bad sign. And, or, you know, a lot of people are like, okay, well, I really, like, I really eat too much food or I really binge. It, it's, it doesn't make sense or it's not possible that giving up restrictions and actually letting myself eat more is the answer, right? So I feel like the more stories you can hear from other people, the better. So I've asked anyone who's listening who's like, you know, I would say a year-ish into the fuck a diet or further because I really do think it takes a good chunk of time to like come out the other side to send your story to me for me to read on the podcast. You can send it to caroline at carolineduner.com. Put podcast in the subject line so it gets categorized correctly within my inbox. And you can also record a voice memo and send it to me and I may be able to play it on the podcast. We'll just see. We'll see if that works out. 
Um, one person has done that so far and I haven't listened to it yet because I've been busy and overwhelmed, but I'm excited to, and you might listen to it in a couple episodes too. So I'm going to read you one of the stories that somebody sent. Her name is Jess. Oh, also, I remember I told you guys that this episode I was going to have a sponsor, but it actually isn't going to be until next episode on February 2nd. So stay tuned. Things are looking up. Um, okay. This is what Jess wrote to me. Hi, Caroline. I've been doing the fuck a diet for over a year. Before I started, I was binging nearly every day, often to the point where I wouldn't be able to go to work or even participate in a conference call because I literally couldn't put the food down. Every morning was a roulette as to what would zipper or button that day. I was in constant stomach pain, constipated, gassy, and was horrified at the thought of someone touching me. When I wasn't binging, I was eating massive volumes of disgusting diet food, so really still binging in a way. I was constantly skipping social events, either to avoid food or because I was just binged and I was in pain or, oh, okay, I get it, I get it. I'm like trying to act myself my way through this as if I know what's happening, but I don't. Okay. She said I was constantly skipping social events, either to avoid food or because I just binged and was in pain or because I was trying to skip a meal and didn't want it to seem weird. I really missed out on time with my friends. Fast forward to today and I have a pretty, quote, normal relationship with food. I generally don't think about food unless I'm hungry or going to get a meal. I eat all of my favorite foods and never work. This like sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? I'm saying that because like if I was listening, I'd be like, yeah, right. You wrote this, Caroline. But I didn't because if I had, I would have made it sound less good, too good to be true. Okay. She said, <laughs> she said, I eat all my favorite foods and never worry about not being able to eat them again in the future. Hmm. That's what happens. I've also been able to actually enjoy them without any guilt. I've been able to spend a lot of time cooking and trying new foods with my friends and partner activities I would have skipped in the past. Basically, I got my whole life back. Yes, I gained weight, but I bought clothes that fit and feel great, and I'm not missing out on my life anymore. And the last paragraph, she says, you didn't ask, but my advice for anyone starting down this path would be to buy a few items of clothing they love that will fit your body now and if it grows or changes. A pair of jeans that doesn't hurt to button. Oh, sorry, I'm doing a terrible job reading this. A pair of jeans that doesn't hurt to button, a wrap dress or an oversized sweater that you want to put on every day because you look great in it goes a long way. And if you can't bring yourself to part with clothes that are too small just yet, put them in a box, all of them, and under the bed or in a garage or something. Open your closet and, oh shit, sorry. Wow, I'm doing such a bad job. <sighs> God. The last line is, opening your closet and having the ability to wear 100% of the things hanging there made the day start on a good note instead of a traumatic one every day. I hope this helps someone thinking about starting down the fuck a diet path. Jess. That is extremely good advice and as you may have heard me say a couple times it is the one thing that was in the fuck it diet book like it was an exercise in the fuck it diet book that was moved around so it was moved around so many times from section to section because I was like does it belong in the mental section does it belong in the physical section does it belong in the emotional section because it's emotional 
Does it belong in the intuitive section? Because it's like decluttering and like, guys, eventually I copy pasted it and I was like, I'm going to move it. And I'd moved it so many times and I just didn't, like, I can't even believe that this happened in the late, late, late stages of editing the book. But it's the one thing that was accidentally removed and never put back in and it makes me sad to this day. Very sad. However, I have updated it along, among other things in the fuckadiet.com slash resources emails that you get. So sign up for those if you've read the book. <sighs> yeah, that's really good advice. It's really fucking miserable not to have clothes that fit, right? And if you're learning to have a different relationship with food and body and you gain a little bit of weight or you gain a lot of weight depending and you feel uncomfortable in your clothes, like worst case scenario, it's extremely triggering and you abandon ship and like spiral. Best case scenario, it's fucking annoying and like an actual chore to have to go and find clothes that you can fit in and that you like. So I totally empathize with this. However, having clothes that you like, that are comfortable, that fit, that are stretchy, that are comfy, that you can wear to lots of different occasions. Again, her examples are really good. A pair of jeans that doesn't hurt to button. (laughs) A wrap dress. An oversized sweater that you like and you want and is comfy and is cozy and is cute. Those things will go a long way. Stretchy pants, comfy shoes. I mean, shoes don't really have anything to do with this. But still, in general, I recommend that you have comfortable shoes, especially if you live in a city and have to walk everywhere. Um, okay. I hope that that's helpful. I... I really wonder, like... I have so many things that I could always talk about, but I just don't really have anything to talk about right now. It's so weird because I get reviews and I get feedback from people that are like, girl, like have an outline. You ramble too much. Can you just like stick to a topic and like make it less disorganized sounding? And then I have other people who are like, I love the episodes and parts of episodes where you ramble I want to hear more about your life I want more of this and that which is so great because that's like one of the things that I do but at the same time it just goes to show it just goes to show that there is literally no winning there's also you could look at it from the perspective that there is no losing but there's just like there's always somebody or many people who will be very annoyed with what you do and that's just the way that it goes and I know that but it just sucks to like see it written like in a place that will never be removed do you know what I mean like it's an it's another level (laughs) it's another level to like have Amazon reviews and iTunes reviews that are like this person sucks and is stupid and is untalented and is annoying and is a bad writer and is a terrible podcaster. It's like, wow, thank you so much. And you know what's funny? I like I hate so many things and so many people. <laughs> stick with me, stick with me. I don't like a lot of podcasts and I like I start audiobooks and I am so irked by so many narrators that I turn it off and never listen to the. I cannot imagine, I really cannot imagine going into the review and being like, 
this narrator sucks. I hate this. Beware. Don't buy this audio. Like I, I really can't imagine doing that. I would never do that ever. So it's just, it's so weird to me that people are so like nasty, you know, like I'm telling you, like I feel very strongly and on Instagram, I spent, you know, a good amount of time and I always wonder whether this is a good idea or not, but I was asking for recommendations for a new TV show to watch because I just finished watching you on Netflix and I was wondering whether to go back to The Mandalorian or whether to watch season two of Sex Education on Netflix or whether to start Summer House by Bravo, which I've heard if I like Vanderpump Rules and Southern Charm that I would love. And I said, or other, like share your recommendations. And so many people were like, Shit's Creek is the best show ever. And I decided to share an unpopular opinion or what seems like an unpopular opinion at least. And I said, guys, I really, I really tried to watch and like Schitt's Creek. In fact, I tried so hard that I forced myself to watch into the fifth season of Schitt's Creek. And I, I, I don't love it. And I really don't think it's funny. And I think that there are some funny things about it. But I just, I don't, I don't get the hype. Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't think it's funny. And, and like, and I was trying to explain to myself because I watch it and I forced myself to like try to watch it again and watch it more so many times because I want to understand. And so many people that I like and respect and think are funny and I like their other tastes in TV. They're like, you gotta watch this show. It's so funny. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think it's funny I think some lines are funny I think Catherine O'Hara is funny I think um I think Dan Levy is funny though I don't think his writing is funny I don't know if he writes all the episodes and that's like kind of a mean thing to say but I don't I don't think that it's I don't know like it's possible to have an opinion and not want to like totally tear it down I guess what I'm saying is I did share my opinion on Instagram about Schitt's Creek but would I like go I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I would never like go to I guess where would I be able to review it I would never go to like the official review I don't even know if there is such thing as official reviews and be like this show sucks I don't get why everybody loves it I was just trying to respond to people who kept on telling me to watch Shit's Creek I was like I already did I just don't it's not my I don't know why it's not my thing. There's something about it that's like, if I saw it as a sketch, if I saw like part of it as a sketch at a comedy theater, like with amateurs or like, you know, I've been to a lot of comedy theaters in my day. I've performed not funny things at a lot of comedy theaters in my day. I would watch it and be like, oh, this is not funny. I'd be like, but that, that Catherine O'Hara is pretty funny, but altogether I don't think this really makes any sense it's not gonna go anywhere but that just goes to show that it's subjective because people fucking love it right okay but really the reason that I explain that is because I was trying to say I cannot imagine saying something so nasty about someone or something 
And then I remembered that I said I didn't like Schitt's Creek. But I think the energy that I said it with was like just like a little bit, a little bit. I don't know. I think I might have caught myself in a in a little hypocrisy conundrum. And I don't know how to get out of it. I could delete this whole thing, but I don't have the energy. And that's just the way that it is. I'm just trying to see if there's anything else that I should be sharing. You know, I think that's it. Oh, and you know what show I decided to go keep watching? I finished The Mandalorian, the show with Baby Yoda, and I loved it so much. And I don't really care about Star Wars. I've seen some of the Star Wars movies, and I don't remember what any of them are about. And I generally don't like Star Wars because I don't like the desert. And I feel like there's a lot of desert in Star Wars. And it just kind of depresses me. I think that the desert is kind of depressing. And I think that outer space is kind of depressing. And so all together, I'm like, why would I want to live in that depressing world? You know? And I'm one of those weird people who like feels everything too much. Like I watch a show and I feel like it's happening to me. Like horror movies have literally given me fevers before in the past. So... I have to be very careful. Uh, So anyway, that's my way of telling you that I'm not like a huge Star Wars fan, though maybe I could be or should be if I could just change my perspective and change my entire like emotional constitution. But I loved The Mandalorian. I loved it. I was riveted. I was inspired. I was moved. And Baby Yoda is truly adorable. And I don't know. I just, I really thought it was good. But now I need to decide what to watch. And I think I'm going to watch The Witcher. Goodbye. Talk to you in two weeks.